Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. We've been doing a series, and our series is on our values and our our culture, and we've been looking at, this is about part four uh, in um, in, in Let's Talk Church is what I've called it, the, the series. And, and this morning, this morning is, it's my passion. Uh, I'm going to really struggle not to get passionate. And some people go, oh, you get passionate, you start yelling. It's like, no, I'm not yelling. It's, it's just that I can't, you can't bottle it in. And that's just the way it goes. So I'm going to try my best to be passionate without getting loud uh, but being American, you know, see people say Americans are obnoxious and they're loud. No, we're not obnoxious. Uh, some of you will get that. Never mind. <laughs> so, yeah, this morning uh, is my passion. It's something that if I had one message to preach for the rest of my life, it would be what we're doing this morning. This is just, it wrecks me when this doesn't happen. And uh, I want to talk this more. I've called it the the power of our, power of our, O-U-R, power of our. I don't know, have you ever, have you ever believed something only to find out that it wasn't true? Anybody? Anybody believe in Santa Claus, Easter Bunny? Uh, do you remember that day when you found out there is no Santa Claus. Some of you are finding out right now. Sorry about that. <laughs> Spoiler alert. You know, you'd think by the time you're 60, you'd have, you'd have worked it out, but there isn't any. And second bombshell, there's no Easter Bunny either. There are bunny rabbits, but there's no such thing as Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. But sometimes we believe things that are somewhat true, but not the whole truth. The whole truth, nothing but the truth. And we, uh, I, I, some of these things creep into Christianity. They creep into church, that's for sure. And uh, like one of them, I'll give you an example. As soon as you give your heart to Jesus, all your problems are gone. You're never going to have any struggles. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to you again. Just get saved. Woo, you know, just nothing but the blessings of God constantly. No obstacles. Well, Jesus said in this world, you're going to have hardship. You're going to have tribulation, he says, in this world. But uh, be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. So it's true, to to a degree, there's a truth in that, you know, problems are going to go away, but not quite all the truth. And this morning, I want to look at something that is a half-truth, and it's going to hit hard, I know that, uh, but I I really want us to, to really buy into something that is all through the Word of God. Like, I had so much trouble, because I, like, I look up, I, I think, oh, what about that scripture? What about that? And pretty soon I've got this list of scriptures. It's pretty well the whole Bible of what we're going to be looking at this morning. I had to be very, very selective, and I will this morning, on what, what are we, what are we going to uh, show, and what are we going to read and, and, and preach about, because there's so much scripture on this particular uh, subject or this particular truth. And, and so this morning, that's where I want us to go with the power of our. So I don't know if you've, if you've ever been sold something and you bring it home and you find out that what you were sold or the presentation 
isn't the reality of what you bought. Anybody been to Bali and bought a watch? Anybody bring the watch home from Bali? Anybody bought some cologne from Bali? Like it looks like Armani uh, coat or whatever, or Chanel. But you bring it home, and man, you put that stuff on, and, and good luck. You're going to be taking a, quite a few showers to try to get rid of that smell. It's the worst thing. But the bottle looks really genuine. It looks like the real Chanel, the box. They've copied the whole thing. It looks like a Rolex, wa Rolex watch. But guess what? You didn't buy a Rolex. You've got something that's going to break probably within the first week. Now, kind of something that contradicts that a little bit is we bought a watch, a cheap watch in Bali for Gail's mother. As far as I know, it never broke. And I was quite taken by that. It's like, this is going against everything. But sometimes these half-truths, they, they misrepresent the gospel, and they're a setup. Seriously, people get set up. And, and the one I want to talk about this morning, that is a, it's, it's a partial truth, but it's only half the truth. And that is that when you accept Jesus, you are in need of nothing and nobody but God. I'll let that sink in because your wheels are spinning right now. Wait a minute. If I accept Jesus, I don't need anybody or anything else it's just me and Jesus all the way. Sounds good. It is a truth, but it's not the whole truth. The, 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 the partial truth is that you can function independent from the rest of the body of Christ, otherwise known as the church. The, the, the you doesn't need us. It's just me. And if the devil can get you to turn from God, if he can't get you to turn from God, rather, he will get you to turn from God's church. Why? Because the devil knows that when God's people are united, they're unstoppable. But getting God's people to be united with, with this half-truth that's, that's prevalent ever since I've been a Christian that says, I don't need you. I've got everything that it takes when I ask Jesus into my heart. It's true, but it's not the whole truth. You understand where I'm going with this? And, and it sets you up for probably one of the biggest failures that you're ever going to experience. Because God says way back in the garden when he made man, everything was good. But then the first thing he said wasn't good is that man should be alone. And so that's why he created woman, and that's why there's families, and that's why there's genealogy, and that's why uh, the church exists, is God does not want you to do it on your own. In fact, I'll say this, if you're doing it on your own, you are right out of the will of God. Now, there's, the difficult thing is because it's so much easier just to, just to fly solo. I mean, there's a lot of things in life that are so much easier for me to just do it by myself. A whole lot of things, actually. It's like, ah, uh, if I'm going to do this with someone else, it's going to complicate things. It's going to make it harder. You take working out, for instance. If I'm, if I'm going to start working out with a partner, all of a sudden we've got to arrange a time. Then they don't show up, or they're late, and it affects my schedule. So it's just easier for me to do my own routine all by myself. 
I remember running, uh, I don't run so much anymore, but uh, I used to run a fair bit. I ran in high school, the two mile. And then uh, as I got a bit older, uh, I started to run like a 10K run, that kind of a thing. I've never done like a marathon. I'm not that serious about the whole thing. But I remember tr uh, a little bit of training that I did to run the, the 10K, and it was in San Diego. And I forget what my time was. It wasn't, you know, um, world standard or anything like that. I wasn't going get, to get a gold medal or anything. But uh, I remember pushing, pushing, pushing. And then I went to the event, and there were a whole lot of other people running, and I, you know, I was just part of a pack. And my personal best, my PB, just, I just shattered everything that I'd ever done because I was running with a whole bunch of other people. And that momentum that you get by not running solo, by, by not running you know, by yourself, that momentum that you get with a group of people, it's just amazing. Everybody knows that in sports. That's why whenever somebody wins like a grand final or a uh, most valuable player or whatever, they get the, the podium, they get introduced by a journalist interviewed, and it's like, wow. You, you just broke the record. You just won the most valuable player. Tell us what you did. And immediately they deflect, if they're smart. Immediately, oh, it was a team thing. It was only because of those other guys. In fact, they deserve this trophy, not me. And, and they know the fact that as soon as you go out there and, and you big note yourself, or you're going to do it by yourself, they're going to set you up. Okay, sucker, like you're the hot shot. We're going to see how, how far you go without the rest of us. We don't need us in our world. And that is one of the, the lies that have been that the church has bought into. Now, I'm not talking about just this local congregation here. I'm talking about the wider body of Christ when I talk about the church. One of our value statements that shapes the culture here at City Church is that we walk together even when it hurts. Now that could just be seen as a, a cute little advert or something for church. Oh, that's, that's lovely. No, the truth of that is deep and it's profound. We walk together. We're going to look at walking together this morning, but we're, we're going to get to the when it hurts bit, and I'll preach a whole message at least on that. But we walk together. And, and walking together is not an optional thing. It's not like, oh, well, pick it or choose it. You know, is it God's will? Yeah, God. No, I got everything with Jesus. I don't need the rest of you. And I can walk by myself and my faith and all the rest of it. It's my faith, after all, that got me, whatever. You do that, you're, you're headed for a big, big letdown in your Christian walk. And, and beyond that, you're not contributing to the rest of the body. Revelation 12, in verse 10. Then I heard, this is, this is John, he gets the revelation. That's why the book's called that, John the Revelator. I heard a loud voice in heaven. Uh, I, I can get loud here because it says a loud voice in heaven. All right? God's voice. You ready for it? Can I, can I do the voice of God? Okay, here it comes. You ready for it? This is if God's speaking. Now I have come the salvation. Now I've come the salvation and the power. Now you know. You know. <laughs> if if you're gonna if you're gonna 
be the voice of God. That is not the voice of God. We all know that, okay? No. <laughs> now have come the salvation and the power. Come on, somebody say power. power. Everybody wants the power. We want the power to get healed. We want the power for prosperity in every realm. Everybody wants the power. And the kingdom of our God. A lot of people talk in kingdom. It's a great word because you don't have to talk about church. Oh, yeah, the kingdom. The church, now forget about that. The kingdom. Kingdom. You can talk kingdom and still think individual. I can do it without the rest of you. Now have come and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Talking about Jesus. Here's the, here's, the, here's the one that really wants to divide us and stop us from working with other people. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, old King James, old school, the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God night and day has been hurled down. Oh, I cannot wait for that day. When the devil gets lowered into the pit, we go, that's the one he accuses night and day. He doesn't even take a holiday. He takes no break whatsoever. He is on to this case 24-7 for all of time, accusing the brothers and sisters, not the heathens, but the church people. And he's been hurled down. And oh, how exciting that is. So the power of our almost called this the, uh, anyway, I got a formula for, I'm not big on formulas, but sometimes things come together, and I think, that's good, that's really good, let's work that one out, so I've got P plus hour equals power, when the P for God's presence joins our presence, God begins to Poor. P plus hour equals poor. Now I got to go over to Psalm 133. Listen to this. How good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like the precious oil, come on, poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down to the collar of his robe. Aaron was the high priest of that time. Our high priest is Jesus. It's like the dew from Hermon, it's a mountain near Jerusalem, falling down on Mount Zion. And here it comes, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. But notice the progression of this. A lot of people think that, well, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, then we're going to get together in unity, and then we're all going to get blessed. No. You get together in unity, the Holy Spirit shows up. God pours when you are united. God doesn't pour when you're fragmented. That's why the accuser's full-time job is just to, is just to accuse everybody and everything. It's a full-time job, and he does it really well. Now, I was reminded of a book that I read several years ago about a vision uh, that Rick Joyner had. And uh, I'm not going to read, I can't read all of it, but I just want to read part of this. Because it, it really does, I really believe that he did see something in, uh, from God. And so it says here, this is actually what he saw. It's hard for me to read up here, there's not a lot of light. Uh, the demonic army was so large, this is the vision that Rick Joyner had, the demonic army was so large 
that it stretched as far as I could see. It was separated into divisions. In other words, uh, this, this demonic army was very organized, a little bit unlike the church, with each carrying a different banner. The foremost divisions marched under banners of pride. This is, this is, this is what stops churches from going forward. Banners of pride, self-righteousness, respectability, selfish ambition, unrighteous judgment, and jealousy. There were so many more of these evil divisions beyond my scope of vision, but those in the vanguard of this terrible horde from hell seemed to be the most powerful. The leader of this army was the accuser of the brethren himself. The weapons carried by this horde were, so, were, were also named. The swords were called intimidation. The spears were named treachery. The arrows were named accusation, gossip, slander, fault-finding. Scouts and smaller companies of demons with such names as rejection, bitterness, impatience, unforgiveness, and lust were sent in advance of this army to prepare for the main attack. These smaller companies and scouts were much fewer in number, but they were no less powerful than some of the larger divisions that followed. They were smaller only for strategic reasons. Just as John the Baptist was a single man, but was given an extraordinary anointing for baptizing the masses to prepare them for the Lord, these smaller demonic companies were given extraordinary evil powers for baptizing the masses. A single demon of bitterness could sow his poison into multitudes of people. Even entire races or cultures. A demon of lust could attach itself to a single performer, a movie, even an advertisement, and send what appeared to be bolts of electric slime that would hit and desensitize great masses of people. All of this was to prepare for the great horde of evil which followed. This army was marching specifically against the church, but it was attacking everyone that it could. I knew that it was seeking to preempt a coming move of God which was destined to sweep masses of people into the church. The primary strategy of this army was to cause division on every possible level of relationship. Churches with each other, congregations with pastors, husbands and wives, children and parents, and even children with each other. The scouts were sent to locate the openings in churches families, or individuals that rejection, bitterness, lust, etc., could exploit and make the whole larger. Then the following divisions would pour into the openings to completely overcome their victims. Listen to this. The most shocking part of this vision was that the horde was not riding on horses, but primarily on Christians. Most of them were well-dressed, respectable, had the appearance of being refined, educated, but there also seemed to be representatives from almost every walk of life. 
These people professed Christian truths in order to appease, turn the page, sorry, in order to appease consciences. But they lived their lives in agreement with the powers of darkness. They had agreed with those powers. Their assigned demons grew as they agreed. They grew and more easily directed their actions. Man, you know, I could keep reading this. It's just profound, and it just speak, it speaks about what's going on in a spiritual realm, which is very, very real. We tend to go, oh, you don't believe in demons and the devil. Do yes, I do, actually. The, the Word of God is really clear uh, about this. It was clear, it says, that the power of the demons was rooted almost entirely in the power of deception. You know, the devil's number one weapon is to get you to believe there is no devil. So how good and how precious it is God's people dwell together in unity. God bestows the blessing. I had God speak this to me, and uh, I don't know if it'll come up or I forget, but uh, a house divided cannot stand is what the Word of God says, but a house in unity cannot fall. We desperately need each other. Romans 12, 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Have you ever thought about yourself belonging to the rest of us? How can we act independently and act like the rest of us don't matter when the Scripture says we all belong to one another? 1 Peter 2.4. I know I've got some Scriptures, but I seriously, you know, I need you to see that I'm not making this up. This is the Word of God all the way through. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. As you come to Him, the living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, here's your responsibility, verse 5. You also, you as an individual word, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priest, priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, this sermon is going to go into a series. I just know that, but uh, I'm okay with that. Got plenty of time. Unity is not uniformity. You got to get me on this. Unity actually requires diversity. The diversity that's right here in this room, it's incredible. I, I look at the gifts that are here that I don't possess. Creative gifts. Gifts like being able to paint, being an artist, being a, a musician, uh, learn, like having an ear for sound and, and, and gadgets and, you know, to understand all of that kind of stuff. Like, it, it's beyond me because that's not my gift. I'm, I'm operating in, in my gift. I can't operate in yours. There is incredible diversity within the body of Christ, and that's good. That's not disunity. Diversity is not disunity. Unity is not conforming. Unity requires diversity. But unity also, unity embraces diversity to fight a common enemy. 
In other words, the army is made up of a diverse group of people with many, many gifts. So the person that operates the sword isn't necessarily the archer. And the person that's out there commanding and directing and strategizing and all of that may not be one of the horsemen in, in, in the army. We're all very diverse, but there's one thing that's common. We've, we've got one common leader. His name is Jesus Christ, and therefore we must all follow him and not break rank. And if we don't do that, then a house divided, it can't stand, but the house that's not divided will, will stand. It cannot fall. Somebody uh, said, you, you preach on this a fair bit, Pastor. Is there a problem I don't know about in the church? Not that this, this church is great. I'm, I'm actually pinch myself sometimes. I think, man, the stuff that I put out, put out fires just so much over, you know, my 35 years of pastoring here, and like hardly ever a fire anymore. It's kind of getting boring. <laughs> it's cause, because I do preach about this a lot. Because I want this steeped, I want our, our culture steeped in unity. I want you to understand. I, I, I'm Fully get, I'm just getting, you know, so much understanding on this over many, many years that this is God's plan, and, and it must break God's heart that, that we, we want to see the power of God. I want to see the power of God, but the power of God's not going to come from me yelling, power! Yell it all you want. Until people get together and get out of their individualistic mindset, which is a mindset of this world, that it's just me and God, I don't need anybody else, it's just me, you know, all the blessings, it's just, whoa, me, 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 my faith, look at my faith, got me, ah, you know, all that kind of stuff, until we realize that it's all of us that God wants, all of us walking and marching together. He wants us all using our gifts for the benefit of all. Unity is, requires diversity. I remember a friend of mine, Wally Odom, and some of you guys might remember him. He used to preach here a bit. He's in America. Uh, wonderful man. He and I would just sit down together and just talk the Word of God for hours. It's like, oh, where did the time go? And I remember he told me this story that he was being cynical, and cynicism is not a fruit of the Spirit. And there was a guy that was coming through uh, Virginia Beach where Wally pastored a church, and this guy came through, and he was praying for people, and their legs were lengthening. And uh, Wally you know, and his friend were kind of being cynical about that, that it wasn't actually legs being lengthened. It was just kind of a trick. And whether it was or not, I don't know. But him and a, another pastor went to this guy's meeting and sat up the back and the guy was, you know, doing his leg lengthening thing. And there in the back, him and this other pastor, yeah, watch, this is what he's going to do next, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they walked away from the meeting and kind of patting themselves on the back. They could see through the whole thing. Well, Wally had a daughter that was, I think, five or six years old, something like that. She went to the doctor, and the doctor said, uh, your daughter has one leg that's shorter than the other leg. It just hasn't continued to grow. So we're going to have to prescribe a, a special platform shoe for her to wear. And she was limping, and, you know, it was very difficult. You know what Wally did? 
He tracked down that leg lengthening guy. And he rang the guy up. Wally had a big church at the time, several thousand people. He rang the guy up and he said, oh, hey, uh, I'd like to invite you to come to our church <laughs> and be a guest speaker. You know, have some meetings, maybe do your leg lengthening thing. So the guy said, okay, you know, I'll fit you in. So he came to the church. But he didn't pray for Wally's daughter. So Wally's like, the only reason I got the guy is to do the stuff for my daughter. So he finally got real and honest with the guy and said, look, I got to confess something. I went to your meetings with another pastor. We sat in the back kind of heckling, being sarcastic and all the rest of it. And, uh, you know, but my daughter has one, one leg that's shorter by a few inches from the other leg. And, uh, you know, the doctor said that this is going to be a problem. She's going to have to wear a brace and all this other stuff. Can you pray for her? The guy said, well, look, I'll pray for her. I can't guarantee the leg's going to grow, but I will pray for her. And so the last night of their rally, the guy prayed for Wally's daughter, and her, and her leg grew out. She didn't need the brace, the shoe, none. She was totally and completely healed. And I think that just shows something, that it's easy for us in a meeting, you can look at people falling over, or you can look at whatever's going on. You can be cynical about it and sarcastic and, you know, go and talk whatever about it. I've learned to keep my big mouth shut and to think it's not about me. Maybe somebody's got a gift that I don't have. Maybe God's going to do something that profounds, that just absolutely makes me profound <laughs> and, and gives me a big why that I don't understand. I remember being at a meeting in, um, I think it was the Entertainment Center, and uh, Rodney Howard Brown was preaching, and I was in the back, up way up in the bleacher section, up in the wherever, and this lady was just going spastic. She was just like going crazy. And I'm like, would you just shut up, woman? I can't even hear the guy. I noticed she had a son, or a, there was a person next to her in a wheelchair. And that guy got up. And I found out later it was her son that had never walked, and he was totally healed. And God, God called me a Pharisee. He said, if that was your son and he couldn't walk and he was in a wheelchair and he got healed by the power of God, would, would you, would you, could you keep yourself quiet? Could you not get up and yell? I'd be yelling louder than her. I can tell you that right now. We have to realize we are a diverse group of people. We all have gifts that are different, and it's God's purpose that we have gifts that are different. God doesn't want a homogenized group of everybody's got the same gift, everybody's like me. You just got to look at marriage to figure that one out. Oh, my wife and me, you know, we're, we're so different. We have these arguments because of our differences. That's why God put you together. It's not conform, uniform. That diversity is actually the biggest strength. So within the church, we got multiple personalities. We got, some people are quiet. Some people are loud. We got multiple gifts. We got a whole collection of people that God puts together and says, this is my body, this is my bride, she's beautiful, and when she gets in unity, I pour out, I pour out, I pour out my blessing. But not until she gets together. 
like uh, like the music team to come up. Thanks. Uh, I you know I've got a lot to share on this, and this is a challenging message for me personally because I I I had this thought not that long ago about reengineering the church, and not just this church, but in the wider body. And it wasn't, the word that I got wasn't reinvent the church. It was re-engineer. You can't reinvent the wheel. It's, it's done, been invented. But you can re-engineer a wheel so it'll spin faster and be balanced. The church, it's God's invention. You can't reinvent the church. It's something that has been in existence since Pentecost. But, you can re-engineer something. The Reformation that my namesake, Martin Luther, you know, when, when they had the great Reformation, he broke away and from the Catholic Church became the Protestants, the protesters. He, he was like, the just shall live by faith. That's, what, that's the revelation that God gave him. And, and he pinned his 99 Theses to Wittenberg's uh, wall, whatever it was. And, and uh, you know, other churches became part of that. The Bible was printed in English. The church had already existed, but it needed reforming. And we are on the precipice of something amazing that God wants to do in this world. God's not holding out. It's like, oh, why doesn't God just, why doesn't he do it? Do you ever wonder why the huge miracles and some of the stuff that you read about in the Bible, and then Jesus comes along and says, you know, these things shall you do, and greater things shall you do, because I go to the Father. It's better for you if I go away. If I don't go away, Jesus says, the Comforter's not going to come, talking about the Holy Spirit. But then the book of Acts rolls around, Acts chapter 2. We won't look at it, but it's very familiar. And we know God poured out his Holy Spirit. It was an outpouring like Psalm 133 talks about. But if you read it, it says, when they're all together in one place and in one accord, when they're all together in one place and in one accord, there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. The Holy Spirit was poured out. But the progression was that the Holy Spirit was poured out, and then they all got together. The progression was they got together in one place, in one accord, unity. Then, then, how good and how blessed it is for my people who dwell together in unity. It shall be like the dew on Hermon flowing down to Zion. It shall be like the oil being poured out from the high priest Jesus all the way down of his body, all the way down to the very fringe of his garment. That shall be the blessing of God when God's people get together in unity. Oh, I get so tired of people going, where's the power? Where's the power? Where's the power? Where's the unity? Our cry should be, unite us together, O oh Lord. Help us to drop the differences. 
Help us to get out of the little cloisters and little conversations about what's wrong with the church and the people and each other and everything else and start to start agreeing and start to look and say, you know what, I might not agree with everything that person says, but I'm so glad that they are part of the body, that they are fighting off a whole division of the hordes of hell. Because we cannot, we cannot expect God to pour out his blessing on a divided body. I was listening to A.W. Towser during the week, and he was preaching on unity, and, and he said this, power can't flow when there's broken wires. All oh, the power from the power station's fine. It's running. There's however many gazillion volts going through it or whatever. Then it comes to your outlet of your house, you want that, the light to go on, but there's all these frayed, fragmented wires. So the fuse pops, which is what it's supposed to do. And the, and, and the power of God, the Holy Spirit wants to flow. He wants to heal people more than we want to heal people. He wants, he wants poverty to be eradicated. He wants homelessness. He, he wants uh, child sex trafficking, all of that stuff. He wants to eradicate that through his body. He, he desperately wants the power to flow, but there's fragmented, frayed wires. So the power can't flow. In my prayer, and I'd like us to stand right now, we really only got through the intro. It's okay. Is there a problem in city church with gossiping and all that? Not that I know of. I'm not preaching that because there's a problem with gossip or some other division within this church. No, the church is probably healthier, as healthy as it's ever been in 35 years. I almost feel retired, to be honest. Not changing as many nappies anymore. And, and look, I'm not asking you to spit the dummy so I got you know, more work on my plate. Please, please don't do that. Is there not a greater cause than just not gossiping or, or not doing this or not doing that or not doing it? Is there not a greater cause? It's not what we're... <laughs> It's not that we're doing that stuff. It's what we're not doing as much of what we could be doing when we walk together. That's why we got dinner parties. That's why there's a prayer meeting at 9 o'clock. That's why we got church. And some of you braved and got through the, we got an uh, Ironman going on uh, today. And some of you, you know, you got here. You got here because you believe in gathering together. You got here because you want, you needed to hear this message because the pastor needed to hear this message. We all need to hear this message and get a wake up call. It's not just not what we what we're not doing, rather it's what we what we're not doing. <laughs> Both ways, you get where I'm talking about. So, Father, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray a prayer. How would you like to? How would you like to be the answer of one of Jesus' prayers? You know, how many prayers has Jesus answered for you? Man, he's answered a lot of my prayers. My, my old dad got saved at 90 years old. Uh, my son's going on with God. He was wayward and stuff, but he, he's, you know, led three people to the Lord just in his unit. He's in the, in the U.S. Army. 
He's got a Bible study going on there in the middle of basic training. He's just, he's just, he stopped two guys from killing themselves that were suicidal in there. And they're all turning to him because of what was put into him in this church by some of you guys. It's what's kept him. My prayers, God's answered so many of my prayers. But how would you, how would you like to answer Jesus' prayer? Ooh, isn't that cool? It's like, God, you answered so many of my prayers. If you got a prayer, he does. John 17, 20 and 23. Listen to this. Jesus says this. My prayer is not for them alone. That's the, the people that were alive 2,000 years ago. I pray also for those who will believe. That's you and I. Who will believe in me through their message. The original message spread out 2,000 years later. We're still preaching it. Verse 21 that all of them may be one. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed that only you and I can answer. Nobody else can answer this prayer. He says, I pray that all of them, not almost, all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I, and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe. You know why the world doesn't believe? Because they look at the church. The result of unity, the world has to take note. They cannot ignore what's going on. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me. Why? Why, Jesus? Why? Why did you give that glory? That they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. So that they may be brought into complete unity, then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you lo have loved me. That's Jesus's prayer that only you can answer. So my challenge, City Church, and anybody watching online, would you be the answer to that prayer? Would you start to pray for the rest of the body When somebody falls, would you be there to help pick them up and not fall under the accuser of the brethren's agenda? Pile on with the other demons? Stone them to death? Could we as a church truly be a light of the glory of God by being an answer to Jesus' prayer? Let's, let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you this morning. for the personal challenge to be proactive with unity, not just reactive, but proactive, to catch such a revelation from your word, which is all throughout the scriptures, and how important this is, unity, and how it breaks your heart. You want to reach the lost. You want the power to flow, but it can't flow through frayed wires, faulty wiring. Lord, help us to mend the nets, to mend the wires so that the power can flow. Show us each individually what we can do by upping our prayer life, by making a bigger commitment to attend 
even what we would think are meaningless meetings like dinner parties or something so that we can help encourage somebody else and we can walk together, help us to sacrifice our own agendas. Show each person here, Lord, including the pastor, what, what can I do to answer your prayer, Jesus? Show me. Show us. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, I'd like you to pray this prayer. We'll pray it out loud together. Just say, Dear God, I ask your son, Jesus, to come into my heart. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. Everybody said amen. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.